uh, we, we look at this aspect of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I want us to think about that, that if we all, if we are waiting for, we're always observing these times, we're always waiting for the perfect time to sow or reap or to, uh, or to uh, gain in maturity, uh, grow maturity, that if you're waiting for those perfect conditions, you're going to be, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time and you're never going to sow and you're never going to reap. So just, and just, and just ponder these things. Now we look at this picture up, up here on the top and apparently some windstorm or something that came through this cornfield. And I may look at that and say, well, this may happen. This windstorm may happen. There may be a hailstorm. Maybe may some adverse conditions that may that may uh, that, that 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 may befall me in my land. So you know what? I'm not going to plant any corn. Now, how reasonable is that? That's not really that's not really reasonable because you either take a chance on growing your corn, or you know you're not, or you just decide, well, I'm just going to give up, not plant any corn. Well, it's not going to work out for you, and. So, sort of what I mentioned with the uh, idea of, of on Wednesday with this idea of it takes work. It takes not only your part, but there's also this act of nature these t- that the temperature has to be right for these for these uh, for the plants to grow up to maturity. It requires your it, that God gives us the word. God gives us the ability to respond to those things. Gives us all that we need, but it also takes work on our part. That we all that it takes both both aspects of that to work and to grow in these ideas and to grow these things and especially in the, in the fruit of the spirit and so when you think about this idea of these the perfect time the perfect weather that i that i that you know if, if it's a bad circumstances i have an excuse not to not act in a godly manner you think about paul Stephen, barnabas jesus you think about the fruit of the spirit did they need good circumstances, perfect circumstances, in order to act in a godly manner? And I think that we we understand that the answer to that is no. In First Peter two and verse twenty three, says who this is Peter speaking of Jesus says when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now you think about Jesus, he suffered uh, severe rebukes, he suffered brutal treatment from the Jews. But yet he still acted in a godly manner. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He still was able to act in a godly manner. Hebrews 5, verse 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now you think about Jesus before he came to earth. Now I'm sure he knew uh, what it meant to disobey and to obey God. But he comes in the flesh and at all points tempted as we are. And yet he, he truly experiences all these things that we experience, and he was still able to overcome, still that he truly learned what it meant to be obedient as a human, and he and, and even by suffering all these temptations, suffering all the things that he, was gun, that he, that he suffered, and yet he still was able to overcome, still was able to uh, do those things and be pleasing to God. And I just want us to think about it a minute, think about his... Uh, Christ's mindset while he was on earth, and I think Philippians two and verse five through seven gives gives us a good gives us a good indication of those things. It says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men." Now you think about Christ's mindset, think about his perspective. 
And I think in verse 7, you see, you see that mindset. He's taking the form of a bondservant. That was his mindset. Is I'm going to be a slave to God. I'm going to submit to his will, submit to his will fully, regardless of my circumstances. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That we were supposed to have that same mindset that, that, that I'm going to follow God, submit to his will, regardless of my circumstances. And so, look at James chapter 1, verses, one through, verses 2 through 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we think about uh, these, th- how we view things, our perspective on trials or, or any type of adverse, adversity I may face. We may say, something happens, says, woe is me, the world is coming to an end. Or we can have a proper perspective that we see in James that these things were actually good for me. That even if my faith is tested or even top, any type of trial I may face, it is actually helpful for me. It helps me to produce patience. That he says in verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete like you nothing. That these things work for my own good, that I may be perfect, that I may be complete. And, I, and it's certainly in the, in the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that I may more uh, grow in, in exhibiting those fruit of the Spirit. And by having that proper perspective, I can count it all joy when I follow these things. Now, I don't think he's saying you're going to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. You're going to be all giddy about having your t- faith tested. But when we talk about this idea of this proper perspective, we can understand that these things work out for my own good. And just when this is not only with this idea of kindness, but also all these fruit of the Spirit. There are some things that require work, but and there are some things that going to be hard to do. But we need to understand this proper perspective, the proper mindset in, in, in obtaining those things, even while I may be under in bad circumstances. Now, we're going into this idea of kindness. Of course, uh, y'all are all great scholars, I'm sure. Uh, but... We see these different uh, words, the Greek words that are used for this idea of kindness. And we see these as uh, Christos, just uh, serviceable, good, pleasant, good, gracious, kind. This word I don't know how to pronounce, but it says to be kind. And it's said of love in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. And then this idea of goodness of heart. And then we have philanthropia and philanthropos. Now the philanthropia, as we see, is from the word philos, which means loving. An anthropos of man, so this idea of loving man. Uh, this this one right here is actually Strong's definition of that. He says it, that this idea of philanthropy is fondness of mankind, that is benevolence. So remember that, that this this fondness of mankind that I'm willing to show good uh, towards my fellow man. And then philanthropos is humanely and kindly. So I think we can, we look at all these things, but we see this idea of pleasantness, uh, goodness of heart. Uh, this fondness of mankind, this idea of being benevolent towards mankind, that I'm willing, to, that I'm looking out for the good of man, that I'm trying to be benevolent towards him. And we talked about this idea of love not too long ago. We talked about agape, uh, love, and then, I, but we notice in these a uh, few words, this idea that that the root word of that is from philos. And we look at philos from Thayer's definition. This is idea of when we talk about this idea of love. But when he says Thayer describes it as a friend to be friendly to one, a friend and a associate, a companion, 
Now this deed says it says about the bridegroom's friend who's on his behalf asked the hand of the bride and rendered him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. Now we talked about this idea of agape love, but this idea of philos is the idea of being a friend, a companion to one of those things. And we talked about uh, Jonathan and David about that. I wasn't I wasn't being reading Steve's mind, but we can see. I'll sort of talk about Jonathan and David later, but. They were, they were friends. They were extremely good friends, companions to one another. And I want to just, I want to just suggest that this idea of, of, of this philos, of this idea of caring, whatever, it has more of a, an affection and more of an emotional aspect to, the, to these uh, things. There is an emotional uh, bond towards uh, companions and friends. And so I, I want to just uh, consider those things while we're looking at this idea of kindness. And also, even again, in this idea of Strong's definition of philos, it talks about being properly dear, a friend, actively fond, that is, friendly of. And so we see that, once again, it's the idea of, you know, you're close to one another, you're bonded to one another, you really want the good of your fellow man. And so we look at what the scriptures have to say about kindness, and we can see that this is something that, we're told not only this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, but we're told to put on, Colossians 3, talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must, must do. Now he's talking to Christians, the church at Colossae. He says, put on these things. This is a continuing effort of, of growing and putting on uh, these things. And we see what it says. Not only kindness, but tender mercies, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Those are some, mm, sometimes those are hard to do. Remember, there's some brethren that's, they're, they're a whole lot easier to show these things to than others. But he says, we have to, we have to grow in these things and be able to show these or try to show these things to all and to one another. And like I mentioned on Wednesday, Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5-7 through 7 says, But also for this very reason, giving God diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. That we're to, as again, going to be diligent in trying to add these things. And ultimately, I believe it's, talk, it's ultimately we're trying to follow Christ, trying to imitate Christ in, in gaining these uh, things. And once again, give all diligence to these things, add these things, strive for these things. Also, Romans 12, verse 10, says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Now, I, I was... Uh, Thomas Henry, he was a, he's a, he had a commentary from I believe it was from the 1600s. I, I, I just like I wouldn't uh, some things I wouldn't recommend his uh, comments on, but I just I like what he says about this idea of kindly affectionate. And it goes back to our definitions. It says it signifies not only love but a readiness and an inclination to love, the most genuine and free affection, kindness flowing out from a spring. So once again, this idea of kindly affectionate that. We're wanting to do these things. We're ready to do these things. Not just, oh, well, God told me to do it, so I'm just going to do it. It's, it's not that. It's a readiness to do these things. It's a want to. It's a genuine, free affection. And going along with this context, of wanting to give preference to one another. I'm wanting to honor one another. And so, once again, it's this idea of there's this 
emotional bond. It's a true affection towards one another. Also, let's let's look at uh, turn to Acts chapter 27, verse 43. I always find this I find this story interesting. In Acts chapter 27, beginning of verse 43. So we have uh, Paul. He's appealed to Caesar. He's on his way to Italy. He's on a, a boat with uh, prisoners. And so they, the, the, the ship runs aground. Run they end up having a swimming, uh, the, the swimming to uh, another land. It ends up being Malta. But in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 43, it says, But the centurion wanted to save Paul, kept him from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on board and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now, when they had escaped, then they found out that the, land, that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered, well, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll, we'll stop there. But we see, we, see, we see them coming to land. Now, you think about you, you're on Malta and you see these people swimming to shore and probably pretty quickly realizing these they're prisoners. We see in verse three that, or in verse uh, four, that they think Paul's a murderer, and so you think about those things, and it'd probably be very reasonable for them to say, "We're going to stay away from these people." But this is not what they do. That they, it says that they, that they, they showed us the unusual kindness, kindness, for they made us kindle the fire and made us all welcome. Now you think about, they don't have no reason to do these things. It was just simply out of their goodness and out of their fondness towards their fellow man that they were willing to do these things. And I think it's just interesting to sort of exhibit this idea of kindness. He called, Paul calls it an unusual kindness, that they were just willing to help them just, just cause. Really, they, they, they surely weren't respecting any, expecting any type of payback, but they just wanted to do what they could to help their fellow man. I think we need to consider those things when we talk about this idea of kindness. Also, uh, we looked at uh, talked about Jonathan and David uh, this early. It's kind of weird how that works out, but... In, in 1 Samuel 20, uh, Saul is Saul, which is Jonathan's father. He's looking for uh, he's 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 wanted he's wanted to kill David, and so uh, David's worried about that. Jonathan basically tells him that he's going to go to his father to see if Saul truly is is wanting evil or expecting or is wanting to uh, kill David. And in the beginning of verse 12, it says, "Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel." When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So, Jonathan says, look, show me kindness while I still live. And not only do that, show my family kindness. Show, the, show kindness for, for my house forever. And so, we, we go to the end of 1 Samuel. Uh, end of 1 Samuel, the Philistines killed Saul and Jonathan. And so, eventually, David was made king. And, then we sort of, and so, we remember um, Mephibosheth. The son of Jonathan. If we pick up the Second Samuel nine verse six, it says now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself 
And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now, I could probably we could show examples of, of, of David showing kindness to Jonathan, Jonathan showing kindness to uh, David. But remember what we've seen in First Samuel that, that Jonathan requested, "You show kindness to my house." And we see that, that we see in verse in verse seven here that because of Jonathan, his father, that promise he made to him to show kindness, and this is how he exhibits this kindness. He says, "I'm going to restore to you all the land of your grandfather. You shall eat bread at my table continually." I think it's just important to look that he's wanting that we will see this idea of kindness that he's wanting to do good. He's wanting he's wanting to help him be benevolent towards him and make sure that he has everything he, he needs in order to be in order to live. He says, I'm gonna restore to you all that land that Saul your grandfather had. You're gonna eat bread at my table continually. You're gonna to be took care of. I'm gonna make sure that you are taken care of. And he says that's I will show you the kindness for Jonathan, your John, for Jonathan, your father's sake. Just a, just a thought. We look at uh, just another aspect of this idea of kindness. That I think is very interesting. Is in Jeremiah chapter two and verse two. He says, "Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness and a land not sown." And he said, and the Lord's basically saying, "Look." I remember when you were kind to me, the love of your betrothal. You don't show these things to me now. And in verse 6, it says, Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and a shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one, no one dwelt? Now remember, and basically what he's saying is, I've shown kindness to you. I've shown love to you. I've led you out of Egypt. I led you, led you through a land of deserts and pits, but you, but you don't show kindness to me. You do not show love to me. He says, you had kindness in your youth. You had love in your betrothal, but you left those things. You left those things even while I exhibit those same things to you. And we see in, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8, uh, we can look at many aspects, but I want to make the point. It says, it, this is when they were at Sinai. It says, then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And so they've had an attitude. It says, look, they at least said these things. That we were going to, all that the Lord has spoken, we were going to do. We were going to do those things. And just before the lesson, I was thinking about this idea of when they were building or preparing that tabernacle. They gave of themselves and they were able to build those ta- that tabernacle. They, you know, they gave up their jewelry, gave up those, gave up their wealth to build that tabernacle. They were willing to get to give of themselves in order to do the work of the Lord. We turn. We go to uh, Joshua chapter twenty-two, and this is in the middle of a thought. But remember that Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh. They never crossed into the promised land. They settled on the east side of the Jordan. And so, eventually what happens is that they, long story short, this is not in this text, but they build a memorial altar. And the reason for those things was so that their children would know that they had a part of the Lord. So that the other tribes that were in the promised land could say that you have no part in these things. And so they build that altar. And before the other tribes know what the reason was for, well, the other tribes, they're ready to go to war. They, and they're ready to go to war. They, they're, out, they're ready to get rid of, rid, rid of that memorial altar. 
And first of all, before they before they they don't just swoop in and attack him, but they first question him about these things. In verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Now, when you think about the side that they're willing to go to war by building, uh, by, because the other tribes built an altar, I, I can't help but think that they, there is some type of emotional bond, there's some type of uh, emotional zeal that these other that these other tribes exhibit. That's kind of when you think about Israel, it's kind of rare. You don't see this a whole lot that they're willing to they're, they're willing to stand for God completely. They're willing to do whatever it takes to maintain the purity of the land. But it's interesting. It says, now remember, they, they don't cross the land. They made their choice to stay on the east side of the Jordan. And, and, but their other brethren say, look, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. I think it's interesting. It says, look, we're, we're starting to settle here, but look, we're, we're willing to let you come back. We're willing to let you cross in this land. Even though you made the choice to, to, to live on this other side of the, of the river, we're willing to make it. And you think about this. They may have started selling. They're selling. They may have caused, if they actually went back to the promised land, may have caused people to have to sort of move around, shift around in their settlement. They're willing to. They're willing to take. You know, willing to uh, uh, harm themselves to, uh, to just so that their brethren would not rebel against the Lord. So that they're truly looking out for the good of their brethren, truly looking out for the good of the Lord and maintaining the purity of their nation. But also, they're willing to do whatever it takes. Just so that their brethren would not rebel against the Lord. And if that means going to war, that means going to war. But it also means if you come to us, be among us, then that's what we're going to do. And I think that's just, I think it's interesting that it's so rare that you see this, this sincere, genuine affection that they have, not only for the Lord, but also for the brethren in which they were willing to, willing to do whatever it takes and able to, to do right. And, and when you think about this idea, you know, you see that attitude of the Israelites. And yeah, it's it's a desire to follow and to do good, not only towards God but also brethren. When you think about this idea of, of we looked at the definition of kindness, the idea of fondness of man, this idea of benevolence, of doing good, of of doing good towards God and to the brethren. And you think about David's attitudes towards uh, a Jonathan, in which he was willing to show uh, this kindness that he had received, kindness willing to show this kindness. And you think about Israel this time; they sh- they've had this kindness shown to them by God, and they're willing to reciprocate that and, and reciprocate that to God and to their brethren as well. I just think those things are interesting. And we talk and we remember talk about Jeremiah too: the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, that willingness to do what is right, not only towards God Himself but also towards the brethren. Now, we look at this idea of how do I acquire kindness. Well, I, I don't really have a magical formula for you. To say, look, you do this, 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 and that, and you're gonna, you're gonna get it. Uh, some people may say that. I won't say that. That's, but I don't really have a, I don't have a secret for you. But in First Corinthians 15 verse 31, it says, I affirm by the boasting of you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. That I'm willing to, all the time. We, we think about this idea of. Of Jesus and his mindset of taking the form of his bondservant. I'm willing to put down these old desires, these old temptations, and simply live for the will of God. That, that those fleshly desires, they die daily. And it's a daily fight and growing and growing and maturing in the Word. 
And also Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Once again, we're baptized into his death. That old man dies. And we're to walk in newness of life. Going back to uh, we uh, mentioned this, the gospel meeting with J.F. Dancer Sturgis. He's talking about this idea of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, this idea of being steadfast and immovable. And, you know, he mentioned that when you as Christians, you, you, you made a commitment. You made a commitment to serve, to serve God and to do that until you die. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, talks about those that they, were, that they, that they served idols and they turned to serve God. That is a... That is a Big change when you think about those things. They were willing to make that commitment to serve God, and that means serving Him daily, to walk in newness of life. And also, we talk about the size of obedience. There's also, I think we all have, we also had to have a healthy dose of fear in these things. Second Peter verse three, chapter three and verse eleven, think, talking about the uh, the the uh, the end of the earth. It talks about therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And eventually, this world's over with. And eventually, your life here is over with. Remember, you're going to render you're going to render account to God for all the deeds that you've done. And I think that should give us a should give us a realization that hey maybe I got to straighten up I'm going to be held responsible for my sins and so I and so I should strive daily to conduct myself in holiness and in godliness. And Second Corinthians chapter ten verses four through six says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Once again, we talk about talk about Christ's mindset, this idea of a bond servant, of fully submitting to God's will, and he says. And we see Paul, he says, talks about the weapons of a warfare, not carnal. And it says, he's casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. That should be our goal, not just to bring some of the thoughts, just most of the thoughts. He says, our goal is to bring every thought, strong to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And we have that proper mindset. We, we, I think we'll be uh, good or, or good in our goal, and we that we will that we can uh, continue to grow in these fruit of the spirits and gaining kindness and gaining long suffering, gentleness, all those things. And if we strive to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, striving to imitate Christ, and also one aspect, and that's another aspect on this idea of kindness. I couldn't leave this out. We look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, talking about the kindness and love of God towards us through Christ. He says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And you think about, for me, let's go back to Acts chapter 27, and we think about these people, that they see these people swimming up. They're prisoners. They're bad people. Hmm. I don't, you know, I think there's, I think there's a good parallel that we see here. That we're, we were bad people, foolish, disobedient, deceived, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration 
a renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I just I that we see I, I mark this idea of this kindness and this love, and, this, and once again, this kindness is Christodes, this idea of, of, of this, goodness. Uh, but we see this idea of the love, this philanthropia. And once again, I, you know, we sort of see uh, through the scriptures that this idea of philanthropia is also is not only kindness, but it's also love. And we talk about this idea of fondness, benevolence towards mankind. He's warning, truly warning you to, 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 to be saved through Christ. That's what he really desires. And he says he's going to save you, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done, and he, according to his mercy, he saves through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He really wants you to be saved. He really wants you to serve him. Also, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Once again, sort of giving this same, same context. God, rich in mercy, with the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, going back to Titus chapter 3. You're bad people, sinful people, but He made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in, his, in Christ Jesus. That, this, that, him exhibiting his, that He exhibited His kindness and love towards us and sending us Christ Jesus his son. And so I think that's just interesting, some, some aspects of this idea of kindness. But I want us to remember that God showed love and kindness towards us by giving us his son. And so uh, that's the end of my lesson. But once again, God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be right with him. So if any of you uh, just uh, need to be, be, be baptized, to be uh, uh, clothed with, with Christ through baptism, or simply need to confess anything or or whatever, need the prayers of the saints, we offer this time of invitation now as we stand and as we sing.